Welcome to BDO Talks ERISA, a monthly podcast from BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence. Each month, we will be talking best practices around all things ERISA, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of ERISA's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's ERISA Services Group and the insights we share through the ERISA Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Welcome to another podcast of BDO Talks ERISA. I'm Joanne Zupka, an audit partner in our ERISA service practice. This podcast is an extension of the services that we offer through BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence. The ERISA Center of Excellence is available through BDO.com, touches on all topics, retirement, and other HR trends to keep plan sponsors and HR professionals up to date. The current buzzword is the great resignation, but what exactly does that mean and what challenges are companies, employers, and HR personnel facing in the great uh, resignation? Of course, I'm not going to handle these items by myself. Our guest contributor joining me today is Jason Brooks. Managing Director, Compensation Consulting Leader, and our Global Employer Services. Jason recently co-authored an article, Retaining Talent During the Great Resignation. Jason, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Um, We typically ask our guests to share something about themselves, um, but this time we're going to shake it up a little bit, and I wanted to know what you're grateful for. Well, thank you, Joanne, for having me today. And uh, it may sound cliche, but I'm very grateful for family. I think spending some time with them last week and just reflecting on everything we've all been through these last, I don't know, a year and a half or two years. I'm very grateful for my wife, my children, and just the the extra time we got to spend together um, that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to spend um, given some of the work from home challenges. I hear you. I'm I'm in the same boat with you. Very grateful for uh, family and friends during this time of year. Um, okay, so I started off with like, what is the great resignation? Um, it's a term that's used to describe the ongoing trend of employees voluntarily leaving their jobs during and after the COVID-19 pandemic ends and life returns to normal. But really, when do we know when that's going to happen? Um, so we also know that there's no specific reason for why someone may choose to resign from their current job. But, you know, we are seeing a few common themes, you know, individuals are desiring more flexibility or better pay. Um, They're seeking um, more working opportunities that maybe align better with their personal values, Um, or maybe they just want to pursue a new opportunity, try something new. Um, We all know that losing talent can be costly to a company or an organization, um, and high-performing employees are difficult to replace. Resignation numbers right now appear to be highest um, in highest around the mid-career employees. My God, that was a mouthful for me to say. And really, no industries are subject um, have not been subject to the great resignation. So, Jason, the real question that I want to ask you is, what can employers do to stop or minimize um, the great resignation within their company? Um, we have seen an increase in workplace flexibility with many employees working from home or remotely. With increased flexibility, we also saw employees being mobile and relocating for work or simply wanting a change of scenery. So I know I've kind of jumped all over, but let me start first. Like, is there a difference between working from home and working remotely? Great question. And and I think it's a challenge that many companies 
are working through. I mean, I'll, I'll step back and give an example of, of a way a company described it to me the other day and how they were thinking through it. And remote is a job that is never really expected to be in an office. So when the job is posted, when a candidate is hired, there's no expectation that that person lives near or actually needs to go into an office at any point in time. You know, maybe they'll come together for annual meetings or other things like that, but it, it's the company choosing and recognizing up front that the employee will be outside of the office. Work from home, on the other hand, is where it's supposed to be temporary. So and they were looking at it in terms of roles that were hired to work out of a particular office, but for due to you know COVID constraints, local regulations, um, temporary um, relocation due to family needs. Um, but, th but there's an expectation that that employee will at some point come back into the office. And if that employee chooses to move outside of the geographic area of the office, then it's up to the employee to cover any costs to come back to the office. The, the employer is not going to, to pay for that employee's travel or, or hotel or anything like that if they choose to move further from the office. Got it. Thank you so much, because I do think that those two terms become interchangeable depending on who you're talking to. Um, so when someone is using the definition that you did, like remote outside of the office, um, this to me is almost like a mobile workforce. Um, or I'll give just a quick example, right? On the East Coast, we see this many times with individuals. Um, they relocate to their vacation homes for the summer, and then they come back um, and work from their regular home in, in the winter months. Um, I know that's a simple example, and I don't even know if that covers or would be considered a mobile workforce, but like, what do companies need to know when they have a mobile workforce? One, that they need to realize that it can open up to additional regulatory requirements, taxation requirements, or things that a lot of companies may not have thought through before. Um, you know, there's been increased focus on the different states wanting to make sure that they're getting the appropriate taxes for where people are doing work. Because um, that's one of the things, generally, employees have a tax liability based on where they're physically located. And a lot of companies do not have the technology to track where their employees are, where hours are actually being worked, which could create a tax liability for the, the, the employee and the employer if the if taxes aren't being withheld or properly recorded. No one likes to hear that. <laughs> exactly. Um, you had mentioned about working remotely, like outside of a geographic area. Um, I know that there, this is not going to be true, but is there anything that may be like, oh, you would be deemed to be mobile if you're outside 25 miles from like the office? No, I, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule about a distance requirement. You know, think of big cities. I live in Southern California. Think of people that um, commute into Manhattan. People may choose even when they go into the office every day to live further away than you may in, in other parts of the country. I think it really comes down to the the expectation is an employee expected to go into an office? And if so, how often? Okay. Um, so you had talked about really um, knowing kind of like where your employees are working, what all the maybe state laws, regulations, taxes, um, if you're 
having a remote workforce. Um, we've also seen during the past 18 months, you know, I'm on the East Coast, you're on the West Coast. So we'll just use it as an example. Like we've, I actually had one individual, he left and, and still lives on the East Coast, but now works for somebody on the West Coast. So there's obviously a big difference between if you've got to work in Manhattan and live in Manhattan compared to in California. So can you talk about geographic pay and maybe the philosophy that some companies need to have? Definitely. And it's not a straightforward answer, Joanne. Um, it never you know, is. When we think about a truly remote workforce, the question becomes, where is the talent pool and what is the cost of that talent? So when Traditionally, when you think about setting compensation levels, companies look at an office location, they look at the local labor market, cost of labor, and set appropriate pay ranges. And if someone moves from California to New York or to Washington or any state in between, um, maybe the, the pay is adjusted for where the local market is and where that local office is. As we think about a remote workforce, there is a philosophical question of whether or not that means that talent becomes a national talent pool and companies should pay national rates to compete in that national pool, or if these geographic differentials should still apply. And it's, it's very case by case how companies are, are approaching that. You know, there, there have been some big headlines when some um, of the tech companies said that if people moved out of the Bay Area, pay would be adjusted accordingly. Um, and there, there's a question of whether or not other companies will follow suit. And I, I think the jury is still out on what companies will do um, based on kind of the, the demands and ability to retain and attract talent throughout the country. Um, do we see this as a kind of, you're talking about a national talent pool um, continuing, or is this maybe going to, obviously your opinion, maybe in the next five years, it'll dive down? You know, I think to some extent, it's going to continue. I think, um, especially in knowledge work and, and other areas where people can truly work remotely, I think people like the flexibility. You give the example of someone working on the, living on the East Coast, but working on the West Coast and, you know, realizing that maybe nine to five isn't the typical work anymore. And they adjust their, their hours to, to align with wherever their employer is. And even if they they live somewhere else. So I think to some extent that's going to continue. I do think that there are going to be certain industries that, you know, manufacturing, hospitality, where people need to have a physical presence. Mm -hmm. And while people are moving around and you think about nationally, there's always going to be some component that's local. Um, I do think that there will be more certainty in how companies approach it. And I think that's one of the challenges right now is companies don't know what to do. Do they need to adjust rates up to compete nationally? Do they keep the same philosophy and approach and think locally? Um, and I think that's part of the reason and part of the challenges companies are having right now as they, they navigate this the resignations that are happening. Yeah, okay, excellent, thank you. Um, so I wanna start to move into compensation, right? I think if we were to poll 100 individuals um, and ask them how they feel about their compensation, I, willing to bet it's a pretty unanimous bet that they all, everyone believes that they're underpaid. Um, and I get it. The economy is changing, but there's so much talk around inflation. Um, but this is now also like a great time um, for companies to have a discussion about their pay and compensation. Um, 
what are some things that employers should be looking at? Yeah. One uh, one thing I think companies should really think about is is what their philosophy is. Take a step back, it, it, recognizing that things have changed, the world has changed, employee expectations have changed. Maybe the compensation philosophy also needs to change, or, or maybe the the compensation philosophy approach still makes sense, but there needs to be more transparency. I think that's one of the demands we're seeing from employees or potential employees is transparency around salary expectations, um, transparency around pay equity and things like that. And so it, companies may not necessarily need to change their approach to compensation, but they may need to think through changing how they talk about compensation to both current and prospective employees. And obviously these uh, these conversations and, and talking about changing philosophy, this is not an overnight decision, right? This is something that um, you really need to to give it the thought and the time. That's exactly right. You know, th- there's a big cost to any changes that happen. Um, payroll can be a, a huge expense in a lot of companies. And so, you know, wouldn't want to rush and, and not understand what the, the financial implications are, but also too, you know, of, of all the decisions that employers can make, compensation is the one that employees generally feel the the strongest about emotionally, mentally, physically, because mm-hmm. um, it impacts them. It impacts how they think about things. And so, if if companies are going to make changes, you know, having the the communication strategy behind it, having a, understanding the timeline when things are going to happen, um, can really go a long way to making sure that employees are brought along in the process. Um, you mentioned communication. I, during this time, communication is key. And we know that workforces are covering multiple generations of, of individuals working um, and the communication styles are different. Um, but it's important to make sure that there are clear working expectations, as, as we had mentioned before, right? The normal work day has changed. Nine to five isn't nine to five, or my version of nine to five is different than your version. Um, just staying in touch with your employees and kind of letting them know about, you know, to your point, transparency, what changes they may or may not be making um, in the company, um, what opportunities opportunities there are. Um, you know, we've seen communication come in many forms from video meetings to phone calls. Um, but then also surveys, right? It's important to be in touch with your employees and find out what they want. Um, those were just three communication styles that I had mentioned. Um, have you seen any others that may have been successful this past year? Yeah, I think starting with the, the last point you mentioned, which is the surveys, um, really under having employers understand what their employees' needs are, what the questions are, you know, it's really evolved a lot. There's been a lot of uncertainty. The messaging from the government's been different, from the health officials have been different. And so what an employee may thought was important a month ago, six months ago, may be different than today. Um, And so I think starting with understanding what the employee's needs are, what questions they have, and then kind of using that to design the the communication strategy is what's really helpful. And I, I do see talking with companies that they've moved to a lot more kind of ask the ask your boss or open town halls that they may not have had 
as open and candid conversations before where maybe companies came together, but it was more of a formal presentation, but uh, allowing employees to ask, you know, ask questions anonymously, probe what, what they want, and then designing a real-time town hall or feedback session around that, um, it goes a long way. Yeah, I think the, right, used to be, um, sometimes people were afraid to ask, like, you're not going to know what the answer is unless you ask. And I think employees now are finding their voice and saying, hey, this is what's important to us. That's exactly right. Um, One of the other ways is employers now are reviewing their benefit package, right? Um, Because as you had said, employees or individuals' priorities have kind of shifted and what's important to them now might have been different from a month ago, from six months ago, or even six months into the future. Um, Some of the things that we've seen from a retirement side is um, companies are reducing the amount of service time to make someone eligible to participate in a retirement plan. Um, another thing that we've definitely seen is an increase in the mental health benefits, um, making sure that there is uh, some type of benefit available to their employees. Um, and so this is where the results of the surveys could be extremely helpful to help guide the employer to see what their employees need. Um, I will just say that if you are a company that has had a few people leave um, and you have some type of retirement plan, please make sure that you have some type of current information. We know that the DOL, one of their hot topics right now is um, missing participants and making sure that that retirement money gets out to them. Um, Jason, anything to add on on like a benefit package that you might've seen that you wanna share? Yes, um, in addition to the mental health, the other areas that we're seeing a lot more focus on is kind of last minute care, whether it, it's for, babysitter for children, someone to step in and take care of an elderly parent or family member. Um, again, thinking through benefits beyond kind of the traditional health care, vision, dental, um, some of these things to just al- allow people to step back and make sure they can, they can fulfill the job needs or the flexibility to step away and take care of the, the child or family member if a need comes up. Yeah, I've I have been invited to so many webinars on um, caregiver support because life has just changed. That's right. And, and I think another topic I've, I've had a lot of conversations on recently is employers realizing that the one size fits all approach to their health care or benefits package may no longer be appropriate. Recognizing that the employee populations are diverse mm-hmm. and not, not just in location, but in, um, you know, an age and familial status and the needs are different. And so figuring out ways to maybe allow for more choices and more opting in or opting out as opposed to kind of a, a one size fits all, assuming that it's going to solve all needs. So true. Okay. So we've kind of talked about some things that companies can do, you know, to maybe minimize the impact of the great resignation on their companies. But now let's, as we dive into the last part, let's talk about Okay, listen, I, I've I've lost employees. I've got to find a way to refresh, bring in new talent, replace what I've lost. Um, I know we've seen companies outsource services or departments, you know, ca- accounting, finance, IT, et cetera, um, or they've gone to hiring um, maybe contract workers. Um, going back to what we were talking about with the mobile workforce and the taxes, um, I'm assuming that there's probably some things that employers aren't thinking about when they're looking 
outside the box for um, new employees. That's right, particularly when it comes to the contractors. I, I think if companies are looking to other consultants or outsourcing providers, um, contractually, that'll solve a lot of the, the issues I'm about to discuss. But when, when it comes to contractors, it, it's understanding you know, how to track hours and, and also understanding the different labor laws and how many demands or specifications the company can put on the contractor versus allowing the contractor to choose how and when they work can really get companies to run afoul of state and local labor rules. And maybe what what the employer thought was a contractor actually is a part-time employee and subject to tax withholdings, benefits, things like that. And so if the company does not have a history of having contractors suggest they work with their, their outside counsel and really understand the jurisdictions in which they're hiring contractors and make sure there's no unintended consequences for both the employer and the contractor um, as the work evolves. Wow. Excellent. Great. Uh, great point that you made. Um, I think we're at a good stopping point, but we've covered a lot of areas today. Jason, I will turn it back over to you if there's anything that you might have you might want to add before we wrap it up. Yeah, I think it, it's been a common theme through what we discussed, but I don't think we said it explicitly. I, I think part of the issue and what employees have really focused on is uncertainty, right? Mm-hmm. And there's been uncertainty with everything these last few months and years. And so employees are really trying to look at areas to minimize uncertainty in their life. And whether it's certainty around what work expectations are, am I going to have to return to work or not? What's that going to look like? Um, how am I going to get paid? You know, what are my benefits going to be like? So anything that employers can do to communicate, take some of that uncertainty out, um, can really help. And you know, th- undoubtedly, there's going to be decisions that certain employees don't like, and it may actually cause more short-term resignations. But th- the more trust that the employer and employee can can build. Um, can definitely go a long way in helping minimize, um, at, at least partially minimize, some of the effects we're seeing as employees are, are looking to what their future holds. That is a great, uh, another great comment by you. I want to um, thank you for joining us on this episode of BDO Talks Arissa. Um, to our listeners, you know, we, we always love to hear from you. Um, if you have a topic or a question about anything that you heard today, you can send those into BDO Talks Arissa at BDO.com. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you for listening to BDO Talks Arissa. Past episodes are available at BDO.com slash BDO Talks Arissa. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also send us feedback, questions, or ideas you have for future topics at BDOTalksArissa at BDO.com. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's Arissa Center of Excellence and the services we provide, visit BDO.com slash Arissa.